Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Looking at this topic of being because we are in the world today, the continuing work of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? How does that look? And so we're looking at, uh, as a backdrop for this, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the book of Romans. Paul never visited the church in Rome uh, when he wrote this letter. So he is basically writing them, uh, letting them know what his message will be when he gets there. Uh, and it, it's, it's a great letter because uh, in this letter, for the first part of it, he basically talks about what's wrong in our world. And then he talks wonderfully for the second part of it about what the solution is to what's wrong with the world. And uh, obviously the solution is the good news, which we are called as the church to be custodians of. Uh, now, last week we began with a scripture that I think is one of the most challenging scriptures uh, in all of the Bible, and it's uh, Romans 1, 18 to 32. I'm not going to reread it today, uh, but the key verses um, that are a backdrop for last week and today as well was uh, verses 18 and 19. Uh, where it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Now we unpacked this important fact last week. According to Paul and according to this passage, what provokes the wrath of God in the world today is not the wickedness of men. What provokes his wrath is what that wickedness does, which is to suppress the truth. God does not get hung up on people's behaviour nearly as much as you and I do. What provokes his wrath is not the sinful behaviour. The sinful behaviour is only the underlying result of a bigger issue, the bigger issue that our sin and sin in the world actually suppresses the truth about God. Now, a few weeks ago, I defined sin like this. I said, sin is when our behaviour tells lies about God. Because having been created by God, we were created in His image. That means you and I, God's intent when He created us was that we would reflect in our behaviour God's moral character, His moral attributes. But because of sin, our behaviour tells lies about God. Our behaviour does not represent what God is like. And then there is this self-feeding downward cycle because where truth is suppressed, sin abounds. And then the nature of sin is that the truth is suppressed even more and we spiral down and down and down. And according to Paul, that suppression of truth is what provokes the wrath of God. So just so we're clear on this, I'll say it again. It's not sinful behaviour that is the big issue. The big issue is the suppression of truth. And as I said last time, if the church makes its main focus 
the self-righteous moral crusading against all the sin in the world, then we too are guilty of suppressing the truth because the message of the gospel, the good news that we have been entrusted with, is not that all sinners are going to hell. The good news that we've been entrusted with is that sinners are wonderfully and freely saved by the lavish and extravagant love, grace and mercy of God in and through Jesus. Can I hear an amen? In fact, here is what Paul writes just a few verses later in Romans 2 and 3. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realising that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? God's kindness leads us to repentance. So that was the intent of last week's message, to help us understand what it is that provokes the wrath of God. So moving on then, we need to understand how God's wrath is expressed in the world today. Because remember, Paul says this in the present tense, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. So how is God's wrath expressed today? Does God uh, zap us? Does God destroy us in his wrath? And in our Hollywood kind of mentality of good and evil, of, 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 of justice and revenge, I think we would like to think that God's wrath looks like that. That God is out to destroy all the wickedness and evil. Can I say I get tired of all the Christian moral crusaders and keyboard warriors on social media who every time there is a crisis or a natural disaster boldly declare that this is the wrath of God speaking out against. It is God's judgment against sin that has caused these things. Friends, it's not the truth. And we have to understand there is a big difference between what God's wrath looks like in the Old Testament and what God's wrath looks like in the New Testament. And we don't even begin to have time to scratch the surface of a very complex topic. But the main difference is the cross. Hebrews 9 and 10. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. This is the words of Jesus saying that. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honour at God's right hand. Paul, back to our letter to the church in Rome, Romans 5 and 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, 
How much more shall we be saved from what? God's wrath through him. How much will we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus? Friends, Jesus fully absorbed the wrath of God against the sins of all mankind when he went in obedience to the will of the Father to the cross. And as much as we would like God to conform to our Hollywood idea and expectation of what a wrathful God looks like, God's vengeful anger was fully expended at the cross. But here's the critical wake-up call for every single one of us today. Paul says God's wrath is being revealed from heaven. But the way that that happens today is so much more subtle than God zapping us. And let me say its consequences are so much more devastating than just being zapped. You see, there is a phrase that occurs in this passage three times where Paul says, God gave them over. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lusts. In verse 24, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. So Paul says, this is how God's wrath is expressed in the present tense. He gives us over. He gives us over to the natural consequences of our own actions. God's judgment on us is that he will let us go our own way. And he speaks of three specific areas in these verses. First of all, he talks about what he calls sexual impurity. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Now, this is a general, a general statement because sexual impurity can take on a whole bunch of different forms. But then Paul goes on to give specific examples uh, to the church in Rome existing at a time where there were no or very few cultural boundaries on sexual behavior. And that sounds really, really familiar, doesn't it? Verse 24 again, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So what is God's judgment on sexual immorality? He will let you go. His wrath is he will hand you over. He doesn't send a lightning bolt to destroy us. He hands you over. Here's the reality of this and let me give you a blunt example to make a point. If there is somebody here this morning and you're having an, an adulterous affair, God is not going to strike you down. God won't make your car suddenly crash on your way to some secret rendezvous. You will arrive there safely and you will come home safely. He will let you go. You know, there's a case in 1 Corinthians 5 of a man in the church in Corinth who was engaged in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And this man had been warned about this behavior. And then Paul tells them, hand him over. And the phrase he uses is hand him over to Satan. But it's the same phrase. God gives us over. Hand him over to the life that he has chosen, which Paul says is Satan's territory. So he's basically saying, well, just let him live 
his sexually immoral life. And then back to Paul's letter in, uh, in Romans 1 and 27, the outworking of that, and they received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Friends, God's wrath is expressed in these terms, that he will let you do whatever it is you want to do and you will pay the price and sadly, so will other people around you. And how does this come about? Well, Paul tells us and he uses the word exchange several times in this passage. In verse 23, he says, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Verse 27, women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. Verse 27, man abandoned, same meaning, exchanged, man abandoned natural relations with women. Verse 28, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Friends, it's important that we get this. The exchange of the glory of God for images, idols, the exchange of the truth of God for a lie, ultimately plays out to be the exchange of morality for immorality. And here's the reasoning, and this is critical for us to understand this if we are to understand what the problem with our society today is. Don't miss this. If we are created in the image of God, and we are, then we will only know what humanity is supposed to be like if we know what God is like because we have been created in his moral likeness. And if we are in his image, we only know what we are to be like if we know what God is like. But if we don't know what God is like, we will never know what humanity is to be like. And so what happens then is we exchange natural behavior for unnatural behavior and then we consider the unnatural to be normal. Uh, I, I often talk about the fact that our society normalizes brokenness and we do. A guy called Stuart Briscoe made this comment. He said, confusion about deity leads to confusion about humanity and confusion about humanity leads to confusion about identity. And confusion about identity gives rise to confusion about sexuality. In other words, if you get deity wrong, you're going to get humanity wrong. If you get humanity wrong, you will get your identity wrong. And if you get your identity wrong, there is a high probability you may get your sexuality wrong. Now, it's really interesting because that quote and the source of that quote is over 10 years old. It's a decade old. Ten years ago, the huge cultural debate was about sexual orientation. Today, fast forward, we've moved so far beyond that. And the big cultural debate today is not sexual identity. The big cultural debate today is gender identity. And here's the thing, we claim all of this is because our progressing is so educated, this is progressive thought, this is pro progressive society, but it has not progressed our society. Our society is not more cohesive as a result of that. In fact, it's more fragmented and people are not confident in who they are. They are totally confused about who they are. 
And let me be very, very clear that I am not and will not ever throw stones at an individual. I aim to be loving and respectful and accepting of anybody I meet, no matter how different our views may be. And I'll keep saying it so that you don't read into this message anything other than what I intend. According to the Apostle Paul, the critical issue to him, and I pray, friends, to us, is not the behaviour of the people, it is the suppression of truth. And if the church would just love people, if we would just reach out with the love of Jesus instead of judging people, we might actually have a chance of leading them to the truth. Amen? But the moral confusion that we find ourselves in today very much mirrors the moral confusion that Paul was addressing in the Roman Empire when he wrote this letter. And ultimately, that moral failure is a consequence of spiritual breakdown, the exchange of the truth of God for a lie. And we are left ignorant and we are so confused about our identity. And as a result, society then begins to affirm and approve of that which is contrary to the truth. And he says at the end of verse 32, they not only continue to do these very things themselves, but they also approve of those who practice them. And God's wrath is expressed in letting us go down whatever path we choose. And all of the identity distortions in our world and all of the huge pain and brokenness that goes with it, according to this passage in Romans 1, are simply evidence that our culture today is living under the wrath of God. And to summarize in verse 1, Paul says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Verse 27, And they received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. But as I said, there is three uh, things that Paul talks about that uh, are guilty of suppressing the truth of God. The first one is sexual immorality. And we can be feeling pretty good about ourselves right now because we feel we've got that, we've kind of got that one nailed. But I have a feeling that as we launch into the next one, the amens are going to get a little bit quieter. Because the second thing that he says is material idolatry. Verse 25, they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. Because if the Creator is not at the centre of our lives, we will fill that void with other things. And that is called idolatry. And when the centre of people's lives move from the Creator to created things to material things, when people's goals in life become the accumulation of things, when our measure of personal value uh, becomes the possession of things, when we get up on a Monday morning and are driven by the race for things, Paul would say we're living under the wrath of God because we're suppressing the truth in the way that we live. And notice in verse 25, they worshipped and served created things because what you worship, you serve. What you serve, you worship. So let me ask the question, what, if it, what is it that motivates you? What is it that makes you get out of bed in the morning? What is it that gives your life meaning? And Paul says, created things replace the creator. 
And friends, this is a big issue for us because we live in the West and this is the normal in our culture. Now, we don't call it idol worship, but idolatry is replacing the creator with created things. And history tells us a sobering lesson about this this, um, spiral down of when uh, great empires, including the Roman Empire, when they become uh, materially prosperous, it leads to spiritual indifference. And then spiritual indifference leads to moral confusion. Moral confusion leads to moral decline and then moral decline destroys the material prosperity. So again, it's this spiral down. Again, true of the Roman Empire. It has been so true of many other civilizations right through history. And the wake-up call is that increasingly it is true of the Western world. And friends, the truth is, history tells us, it will decline. It will implode. Because our prosperity has created a spiritual indifference, which has created a moral failure, and the moral failure in itself is destroying our prosperity. So there's the first two things. He's talked about sexual immorality. He's talked about material idolatry. The third thing he mentions is self-importance or being self-absorbed. And he mentions people who have become intellectually very arrogant and self-important. Verse 21, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Because as we looked at last time, they did not follow the evidence of God, number one, in creation, and number two, in in the conscience, in the DNA part of us. Uh, the, 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 The God void that DNA has put in each one of us. And because they don't follow that evidence, they don't follow that prompting, they don't follow those clues, all they have to lean on is human understanding. All they have to lean on is a human perspective. And according to Paul, they say our human perspective, and we do it today, you know, we don't need God. We push God away because we're smarter than that now. We don't need that stuff. We're intelligent and we're educated and they say, We're wise. And Paul says in the big picture, they've actually become fools because in the absence of God in our thinking and in our perspective, in verse 21, their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Friends, wisdom in the Bible has nothing to do with intelligence and foolishness in the Bible has nothing to do with a lack of intelligence. Wisdom or foolishness have everything to do with our understanding of God and what we do with that understanding. Proverbs 9 and 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And friends, this is Paul's assessment of our world. That mankind has exchanged the truth of God that is evident in creation, exchanged the truth of God that is embedded in our conscience. And so our minds have become darkened instead of enlightened. And we've become foolish instead of wise. And so God gives us over to our corrupt behavior. We're intellectually corrupt, we're materialistically corrupt, and we're morally corrupt. And verse 28, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. 
And as the team comes back, let me say this in closing this morning. It's no exaggeration to say that this passage is a mirror of our society today. Paul could have been writing this to us. It is without exaggeration that I say to you, we are living under the wrath of God. As a society, God has given us over. But it can only be true of a society when it is true of individuals. And there's the challenge. And let me say, if you choose to be here on a Sunday morning with a nice smile on your face, singing all the songs, raising your hand at the right points and shouting amen, but you go home and there is an unrepentant sin that is just the thing that you engage in, there is a huge warning. We've got to be aware of the things in our lives that we need to bring before God and absolutely repent of. Because unrepentant sin in our life suppresses the truth. And it's the suppression of truth that gets under God's skin. And the thing about sin is the first time you do something, you know, this is just so contrary to who I am, so contrary to what God wants me to live and so, so devastating to those around me. But temptation wouldn't be a problem if it wasn't attractive. So it sucks us in. And the first time we go against all of that stuff, your conscience absolutely screams at you. And you, you, know, and you kick yourself and you can't sleep at night because your conscience is screaming. But then that subsides and next time it gets a little bit easier. Your conscience might yell a little bit, but you, know, you might toss and turn a bit, but you're getting some sleep, so it's kind of okay. The next time your conscience might talk to you and all seems to be going okay. Next time, conscience just whispers at you and you think you're getting away with it. Well, God's not zapping me with bolts of lightning, so it must be okay. God doesn't seem to mind and we compartmentalize. I've got all of this under control. It's all good. Don't fool yourself. All that's happening is He's letting you go. That's how His wrath is expressed. He will let you go until you come to that place of realizing how stupid am I and how damaging this is, not only to me, but to others and to my witness of the gospel. Because my unrepentant sin is suppressing the truth. And God is always there and He says, repent of it, confess it, get rid of it. But there's one last thing because... If Paul is saying God's wrath is being in the present tense revealed against the wickedness of man, there's also the ultimate expression of God's wrath in the future tense that is yet to come. Romans 2 and 5, You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. It's what we're going to look at next time. But we've got two weeks holidays between now and then, so I'll do it with a smile on my face. But friends, here's the thing. We can play games with sin and think we're getting away with it. But that's not the end of the story because there is a future day of God's wrath coming. There is a future day of God's judgment coming. Romans 2 and 5, you are storing up for yourself wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. Verse 6, God will give to each person according to what he has done. Verse 16, this will take place on the day when God will judge Men's secrets. 
friends, there is coming a day of judgment where we will stand one either clothed wonderfully and beautifully in the perfect righteousness of Jesus or we will stand on our own alone under the wrath of God. And friends, the problem with sin is not that it distorts or destroys your life, not that it messes you up, not that it makes you a slave to whatever it is, not that it leaves you with scars. All all of that's true. And yes, it's devastating. But the big problem with sin is that it provokes the wrath of God. And it's exactly why we have the cross of Jesus because we will not understand the cross of Jesus until we understand the wrath of God. So Paul is showing to us in this letter the problem with humanity. We're looking at the problem with us and we praise God that He's given us a solution. And in coming weeks, thankfully, we're going to be talking at length about those wonderful solutions. But don't wait till then. If God God has revealed something in your heart right now, something that you need to confess, something you need to bring before Him. If the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction right now, deal with it right now. And I'm going to pray in a second, but I want us right now, every head bowed, every eye closed. And I just want to offer a pause right now for you to be doing some self-examination and for the Holy Spirit to bring some conviction of things that you've got to take before God and confess. Don't hang on to it. Don't play games with it. Don't compartmentalize, thinking you've got it all under control. Just be real with yourself. Be real with God. God's not offended. You can't scare God with what you might confess. The reality is He already knows about it and just needs you to come to the place of recognizing it. Confess. Repent and trust Him. And Father, I pray for every single person in this building this morning. And the truth is we're really conscious of our own failures, our own sins. But I want to I pray particularly for those this morning that have given up the fight just caved in, they've given in to something that's just become habitual. They've adopted their sin. It's like sin has become their friend. It's become a really, really familiar security. It's become the thing that they run to. Father, right now, would you break that hold in Jesus' name? Right now, God, would you just awaken within us by your Holy Spirit to see the truth, to see this thing for what it is, to see its consequences, to see that those consequences are always destructive. Father, thank you that we can bring all of those things to the cross of Jesus and know your forgiveness, know your cleansing, know your renewal. And Father, corporately for us as a church today, I pray, Father God, that in all that we do, for the way that we live our lives, that nothing about how we live would cause the truth to be suppressed, but would cause the truth to be known.
We have the glorious gospel of Jesus. We've experienced that for ourselves. And Father, we are to continue that message of good news. May it be evident in us. May the truth be seen. May we reflect more and more of you. And as your Holy Spirit does a work in us, may it truly be more of Jesus and less of us. And we pray this in his wonderful name. Amen and amen.